name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. I read a book recently that dramatizes uh, in first person the personality of uh, the good thief and what happened to him before he was crucified and how he became a, a thief. His mother died when he was four years old and his father threw him out to fend for himself when he was only five years old. And there he wandered around starving looking for something to eat. And the only way he could survive was to steal, steal food so that he could just live. Stealing food became for him a daily priority. He recounts that he was in a small village and people knew him and began to figure out that he was a thief. So he eventually went to a larger city where he might not be known. And he arrived in Jerusalem, where he might not be known there as a thief, but maybe he thought, well, as he grew older, he maybe he could get a, a decent job as a tradesman of some kind, carpenter or jeweler or something like that. But whenever he tried to get a job, they demanded experience, which he didn't have. The only experience he knew that he had was to steal. So again, to survive, the only way was to steal. And uh, he recounts that one day I, I realized, as I saw a large crowd, that they were listening to one of those itinerant preachers. The sun shines on the just and the unjust alike, I heard him say. Words, 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 just words, I thought in my cynicism. They sound good, but right now, the sun sure isn't shining down on me. A few days later, I, I saw the same man. And I overheard someone call him the son of David. There was no crowd at this time, just a small group of about 12 men. So I moved in a little closer. And I heard one of the men ask him, Lord, if another man wrongs me, how many times should I forgive? Seven? The preacher smiled and said, I know seven times seems more than just, even generous, but I tell you, you should forgive him seventy-seven times. The men gathered around him were astonished, and I was astonished too. But because I knew people were not like that, I thought it couldn't be true. Then he started talking about his kingdom, a kingdom that was not of this world, where people could live forever. None of this made any sense to me, so I wandered off. So he continues and he eventually gets caught thieving as he's trying to take a golden or some kind of golden chest of some kind and some Roman soldiers see him 
They grab him immediately, throw him in prison, and he's executed, or rather he's sentenced to execution by crucifixion. That's what all Romans did. That was the Roman law. That's how they dealt with thieves. There he sits in prison thinking about his entire life. A miserable life it was. He recounts that at the moment I looked up and I saw one of the guards talking to his son. They were smiling and laughing. And then the father took his son in his arms and hugged him and tussled his hair. Upon seeing that, I began to cry. I was so surprised at my reaction. I hadn't cried since I was a boy. At first, I, I didn't know why I was crying, but then a shaft of light crossed my face and it occurred to me. Nobody had ever talked to me like that father spoke to his son. Nobody had ever laughed and smiled with me like that father did with his son. Nobody had ever hugged me like that and like that man hugged his, his boy. Nobody had ever in my whole life tussled my hair like that soldier had tussled his son's hair. And the thing is, it seemed so natural. And then he recounts how he is, he is sentenced and taken off for crucifixion together with another man that he knew that was also a thief. And there he saw this same preacher also being crucified with him, taken to the, to the place of execution. And he recounts how they were treating him much, much harsher than the way they were treating him and the other. He could see that he was in agony. He heard his, his other friend, the other thief, screaming at him. He thought, what was wrong? What had he done wrong? We are getting what we deserve, but he hasn't done anything to deserve this. At that moment, I felt Jesus looking at me. I was suffocating, but I raised my eyes to meet his, and he looked at me like nobody had ever looked at me before. It was the first time in my life that I felt like anyone really saw me. And he had this look in his eyes that said, everything is going to be all right. It was a moment like no other in my life. He was a man like no other man that I had ever known or even heard about. And I said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your, your kingdom. As he looked at me, I thought he was trying to smile. And then he said, I promise you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, we know those are the, the greatest words ever pronounced or ever heard by anyone directly to be promised, to be told, today you will be with me in paradise. We know the good thief died, and we know he became Saint Dismas. There are churches even dedicated to the good thief, the church of the good thief, the church of Saint Dismas. And they say that every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Well, today, on the Feast of the Solemnity of All Saints, 
we are reminded that we too have a future. And we are reminded to leave our evil in the past, to leave it behind us like that good thief did. We are invited to leave all small-mindedness. We are invited to leave all pettiness. To leave any undue attachment that we may have recognized. Too much love for comfort and ease. And to start to really dream big about our future. Not because we are great, not because we are going to be some successful politician or something, but we dream that great dream because God wants to do something with you and me. He wants to do something great. There's such great possibilities in our future. And these are the possibilities that God wants to awaken in each one of us. And as we picture that myriad of saints, the massive amounts of crowds and crowds adoring God, among them Saint Dismas, and so many other great saints that we know, we ask the Lord now to awaken in us a desire to be part of that great crowd, each one having done something great. That we might receive an image of something beyond what we can now imagine. This has to be our dream when we think of what do I really dream about. St. Rosemary used to speak about dreaming. He would repeat that phrase, dream, and your dreams themselves will fall short of the reality. You got to dream about something great. We can't dream about just ensuring our little comfort zone, our little bubble where everything is exactly the way we like it. But something much greater than that. And we must not think that this is beyond us or this is just for the, for the elect that are very, very unique. So the saints were these very, very special circumstances uh, Always when we talk about the saints, uh, that is, at least the solemnity of all saints, we, we think of this innumerable crowd, far beyond the list of saints that are officially recognized. You know, it's, sometimes it's, it's a bit annoying when you have two saints on the same day. You say, okay, I'm going to do him, I'm going to do her. Yeah, if I do her, and then, well, she's not going to get it. You know, so we have to make a decision here, you know. Because there are two saints on the same day. Yeah, but those are the official ones. If you go to the, the official ones in the liturgy, but if you go to the real, real, you know, martyrology or the, the real list, then you've got like tons every day. Then try to figure out which one you're going to choose. <laughs> They're like 10, 20, every single day. And even that, obviously, is far beneath the real sort of, ontological truth about how many saints are celebrated every day. And so today, the liturgy invites us to lift up our eyes. Because among this multitude are not only the officially recognized saints, but the baptized of every age, of every nation, who sought to accomplish God's will, 
with love, with fidelity. Those are the, the faces and the names that we do not know, but that had eyes of faith and that we can now see them shine like the stars full of glory in the divine firmament. It's not everybody. It's not absolutely everybody who was ever baptized because that would mean that we that this was just an automatic thing. You know? It is those who were baptized and thanks to that baptism lived the faith to a heroic degree in some way. It's not a fait accompli, just being baptized. You're a saint. It exercises, it's, it's necessary to exercise our freedom in this, to want to love. Love is not just a thing that is automatically integrated into us. But today is a day in which we let ourselves be filled at wonder at that crowd and also the fact that it is the church that recognizes her saints. The church. She is the mother of all saints because she was the one to generate them with her teaching, with her sacraments, with the transmission of the word of God. It's as though the church has the storehouse of all that is available to make us saints. In our case, to make us saints according to the spirit of the work, which is also a spirit that has its origin in the church. It belongs to the church completely. Naturally, it comes from God, but it's, it's the church that has been entrusted with this great, this, this great grace. And with all these saints... The Church manifests her beauty as the Immaculate Bride of Christ, the source and exemplar of all holiness. Naturally, as we know, she doesn't lack for riotous and rebellious children. And some of them are pretty bad. But it is the saints that she elevates and it is in her it, it is in those saints that she recognizes her characteristic traits and it's precisely in them that we savor it's precisely in them that she savors her deepest joy the joy of saints something like the joy of going to the canonization or beatification because somebody has come home we acknowledge that, we recognize that. And now as we consider that crowd, we, we want to be part of that crowd and give the church joy. Even if our life in some stages was like dismiss, quite miserable, quite backward, with its quirks, with its setbacks, with its own weakness, with its traumas, we can still be saints. Thanks to the promise of Christ. Thanks to the grace of Christ. That's why when we think about the saints, when we think about somebody like Dismas, this has to do something for us. There's so many from every culture, from every time, from all levels, from all societies, from all intellectual and physical abilities, men, women, children, martyrs, intellectual, simple, smart, not too smart, 
The church has a taste for all people. That's why it's the Catholic Church, the universal church. It's not restricted to one culture. Some cultures are more embedded with its message. Others still remain to be more fully realized in that culture. It has to do something to us when we think about the saints. It can't just be a kind of vague, anonymous tapestry that is almost abstract. You know, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was born in Burgundy, he was one of the greatest preachers of the 12th century. He became a doctor, he was a, well, a doctor of the church, he was a theologian, he was a noble of noble birth, a Cistercian abbot, very, very pious. He loved art. He had a reaction to the art of his time that was too intricate and too over-the-top and detailed with all those gargoyles and stuff, and he said, let's calm this down. Let's make this more amenable to our piety. He had a deep knowledge of Scripture. Well, he said that when he thought of the saints, he said, for myself, I must confess that when I think of the saints, I feel aflamed by great desires. And that's an expression that is so proper to St. Bernard. I feel aflamed. I mean, he wrote so many sermons. You know, the, his, his sermons on the Book of Wisdom, right? He, he wrote, I think there are 84 sermons, and he only got to the first three verses or something. I mean, like, <laughs> this, guy, this guy knew how to preach because he got inflamed by the Word of God. And he was perhaps the most conspicuous figure of the 12th century. He founded numerous monasteries, he composed numerous works, many sermons, undertook many journeys in the honor of God. He did not want to go to the Holy Land to encourage the, the Crusades, but he did it out of obedience. Many times he was offered bishoprics to be bishop here or there, but he always refused them. And uh, the reputation of St. Bernard spread far, spread wide. Popes were governed by his advice. And he was inflamed. He was inflamed by the greatness and, the, and, and just a sense of wonder at the saints. We fast forward to today, to our own lives. We compare them to somebody like St. Bernard. Maybe our lives are not that adventuresome. As far as I know, we don't take counsel with the popes or invite them to do this or that. Maybe we're not that adventuresome, that's okay. But when we think about the Father, we realize that the Father is there in Rome now. He's in Mexico, of course, on a pastoral trip. But he, he also prays for us. He, he told us that in one of his, I believe it was his first letter, February 2017. Touching part, he says, My daughters and sons, if in this world so beautiful and yet so tormented, anyone at any time feels alone, let them know that the Father is praying for them and is truly accompanying them in the communion of saints. 
and that he carries them in his heart. If you ever feel alone, if you ever feel misunderstood, maybe things weigh down on you, uh, there's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of decisions to take, tiredness, exhaustion, stress. It's important, you know, we're not alone. We're, we're interconnected in this communion of saints. We can pray for each other. That's why we, we say the memorare. We say memorare, okay, she's, she's struggling with this. She has to go and meet that important person. She's got that demanding job. I'll pray a memorare for her and send her some good oxygenated blood so that she be strong, so she not be discouraged. We're interconnected. We're interconnected here, below, but of course, we just have to raise up our, our sights to God and see that we are also interconnected with all the saints that came before us. Think of all the great saints. Think of all those that inspire you. It's good to read the lives of the saints. They're concrete lives, true stories, people who went through hardships and suffering and joys and adventures, like St. Bernard, St. Paquita, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Therese of Avila, St. Francis Xavier. And there's so many. And that's why we read the life of our father too. Go through his life, his, his own family, and the, the struggles he had to go through. And the inspiration that he received from God. How he really felt that this was something that he had to safeguard, that, that God was asking him to transmit So we got that communion between those who are living and those who are dead. They're not really dead in the sense that they're with God, but they're dead, you know, they're not here. And we think of the Father, you know, the Father, the Father's life is not totally dedicated to us, dedicated to you and me. And he really does have affection for his children that is based on and supported by sacrifice. As our Father did, he can tell us, my sons and daughters, while others sleep, cor meum vigilat. I have to remain alert. Being alert. What is he alert for? What is he vigilant about? I have to remain alert, is what our Father would say. And the current father has said that too. I have to remain alert. He has to remain alert and vigilant about our own sanctity. He's a, he gives us indications, instructions. He sends us letters, uh, writes notes, uh, because he's concerned about our becoming saints. If all, all this is of no use if we don't become saints. And uh, that's why we have to really feel supported by the communion of saints. I saw recently a, a letter written by the father to Father Greg, who, would, who was now ill at that point and was getting old, and, and he encouraged him to offer his illnesses to the Lord. But he mentions that he would pray for him. 
through the intercession of uh, Don Javier. It's, it's a letter we've kept. And, and uh, anytime you get sick in any serious way, you'll certainly get a letter from the Father too. So let us be connected with that huge crowd that we will see in today's second reading or that, uh, that reading from the book of Revelation where John saw a huge crowd that no man could number. The uncountable throng represents the spiritual offspring of Abraham, those who imitated his faith. Remember how God had asked Abraham to look up to the stars and to see if he could count the stars. He said, such will your progeny be. Look at all those stars. He would be the father of many nations. It would be a progeny too numerous to count. And if you look at the stars, I mean, they're, they're, they're very numerous. It's very hard to count all that. But the only way that this really makes sense is that they are the progeny of saints, not just a, a great peoples, not just like a physical people. They are the progeny of all the saints. Eh? that you could say have their ancient origin in, in Abraham or maybe in Adam too right? but John seeing that progeny seeing that crowd he sees them all wearing these white robes the garments of the faithful who endured the purifying trials of tribulation will be vested with white robes you know, when we were baptized, we were vested with a white robe that suggests that. And that white robe, we have to keep it on. We have to keep it unstained and clean so that we can go into the banquet hall and have it on. There's that powerful passage, the, the parable in St. Matthew 22 of the, the, the wedding feast and how the the king, during the reception, walks around and greets people. They're all wearing the wedding feast. And he goes in and he sees the guests and he knows the man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless, didn't say anything. So it was a struck me there, that image of the king addressing somebody and the guy asking him a question and the guy says nothing, doesn't say anything. He's not wearing, he's not wearing a wedding, wedding garment. Why aren't you wearing a wedding garment? That man who is speechless represents maybe the Catholic baptized person who maybe has faith but just didn't keep it, didn't uphold it, didn't get formed, didn't grow in it, didn't let himself be transformed, just stayed on the surface, was just the official Catholic, but never really let himself be changed. He looked like he was good in company. He might have been on some school board or you know, a trustee, but he never really felt true repentance for his sins. He didn't realize that they had a need for Christ or to exercise his faith in that terrible moment where he's thrown hand and foot and thrown into the exterior darkness where there will be weeping and grinding teeth. 
Let's keep our, our wedding garment on, the baptismal garment, clean and beautiful, so that we can stand there in front of the Lord with that immense crowd of saints, including our Father, including Don Alvaro, including Guadalupe, and including Dismas, who will be there giving us, as we say, un abrazo, a great, a great hug. We ask this of our Blessed Mother, Queen of all saints. She encouraged us to dream big, to dream, to want to be part of that crowd. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.